This is a Bulldog Radio podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the MVSP. It's Joe Nagy along with Brandon Worth. We're back in the studio. Start of a new semester is today, Monday, the 11th. Uh, very excited to get back to it. Very excited to have everybody back on campus. We got a pretty big episode of Fair State Sports Report, some NFL to go over, and tonight is the College Football National Championship. So, like I said, jam-packed episode. Really looking forward to it, Brandon. What do we got to start off? Oh, it's gonna it's gonna be a great episode. And we're gonna start off with our hometown Fair State Bulldogs. Um, starting on the ice. Um, be honest, hasn't been a great start. Um, we're 0-8. But when you look behind that, there's still been things that you can definitely look at as positives. I mean, they, we've had some games that we've battled to literally the final fifth period, you could say, or I should say fourth period, overtime. We've had two overtime losses. And we've been in situations where, like, frankly, we've played with some of the best teams. Like, against Bowling Green on the third, we... We were tied with them through two periods, and they were, they're were they a ranked hockey club. They're a really good team, Bowling Green is. And we just couldn't, could not, could not finish both of those games, frankly. I mean, it, it was, obviously, you see 6 1 in the game prior on Saturday, but they played a lot better than that in the first, like, first two periods. So it, it's just, it's just kind of a, it's a, it's hard to look past a record. It really is because a lot of the times when you look at teams, the record determines how good you are because you can look at a team like the Bills and you can look at a team like the Jets and you can know the difference in good and bad just by looking at the numbers. But the fact is there are some good things. And like Logan Stein just made his two debut two debut games against Alabama Huntsville on the 8th and the 9th um, last weekend. And I mean, first game, you, you can't just say, oh, he had a really bad game. I mean, it was his first game in uniform for the Bulldogs as he was out at USA Juniors winning gold, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, winning sir. Gold. We beat Canada. So, yes, that's that's definitely important. But, I mean, the first game he allows five goals. I mean, that doesn't look great on paper, but you look at how the game flowed and the fact that Huntsville got 48 shots off, I believe it was. You're not going to stop all 48 shots. That's just the nature of hockey. Yeah. College hockey players are there for a reason mm-hmm. because they can score and they can do their job well. And he rebounded very nicely in the second game on Saturday. Our offense, frankly, just had a struggle. It was just a bad game. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's plenty of positives to look out of it. There's been some there's been some stars, but, I mean, Joe, you're the hockey guy here. I want to hear what you got to say. <laughs> I was going to say a couple of things, but like you said, I mean, the record and stuff really determines how you really see the talent of a, of a hockey team. And, like, Logan Stein, he made 40 saves in his debut. Yeah. So that is insane. And not a lot of – not even a lot of veteran hockey goalies can make a lot those that many saves. And, you know, you really just got to look on the bright side. I mean, it's early in the season. We got – Logan Stein, who's a, a new goalie, who's probably just going to keep on getting more comfortable as time goes on. He didn't really get a whole lot of playing time in the in the in the juniors, so you can definitely tell that he's. I mean, he's ready to go, and this is the time to go. So we play Michigan Tech coming up. Michigan Tech is one of the better teams in the GLIAC, so definitely looking forward to a really hard fought game. Hopefully, we can kind of turn around and get the dub here. And then, I mean, we got uh, Minnesota State, Northern Michigan uh, to close out the month as well. So it's going to be a good game. Going to be a good couple games. Going to be a good stretch, and hopefully, we can get some wins here. And kind of turn around the season early. Yeah, I mean, the season's not over. Like, we're not throwing it in the tank yet. We're too good for that. No way. I mean, yeah, you look at last year and you're saying, oh, it's kind of looking like a repeat year. But, I mean, it seems like right now there's a lot, a much better narrative as mm-hmm. far as, like, last year was kind of like, oh, this team, this team's not where we thought it was going to be. Where this year's teams had some struggles. I mean, we've really not had a full-strength roster because of COVID for a couple weeks now. I think I think last weekend might have been the first time we had everybody back. I can't clarify that, though. But I know against, like, Bowling Green and then the the games prior to that, there were some, peop- there were some players out for COVID, so... And I mean, look, Harrison Watt, the play-by-play guy. He's doing it, he he's doing it from his house right now because he was in quarantine for a little bit, and he's doing a great job. So, I I mean, there's there's still a lot of varying circumstances that can explain why this team hasn't been clicking on all cylinders yet. And I think that's kind of one thing that I know um, I've noticed a little bit when watching them is that there's there's times where it's it's there, everything's crisp, everything's clicking, and then there's some times where there's just kind of 
oh hey, all gonna go for an outside cut. He makes an inside cut. Just little little tiny detail things. And there's been times where like we've had we've been so jammed in our mm-hmm. own zone that by the time we get it out, it's just like we just need a breather. So we got to dump it and get a line change going because they've had the puck literally on our side for three minutes. Mm-hmm. Like those things. It's just those little things. We haven't got everything clicking yet, and that's fine because you know we don't have to make it click until the end of the year when it really matters in tournament time. So yeah, when the, when it's when it's conference tournament time, that's when you can really turn it on. I mean, like it's just it's just tough because really, I mean, four of our games have been one point lo- one one goal one goal difference. Yes. and when you really look at that, you can definitely. I mean, Northern Michigan last year we didn't really have as much. I mean. Both games we lost by one, and last year we didn't really have that much success against them. So you can really look at that as a bright side as to where we're at this year. We're definitely better, although our record doesn't really show it. We're definitely better than last year, and I think give it time. Give a, I mean, especially with a season like this where you don't really have a whole lot of fans, where you know COVID is basically on everyone's mind, and you can basically have your, you can honestly have your season ended in just a snap like that if something happens. So it's. It's a lot of stuff that's going on that wasn't there last year. A lot of unwanted stress and a lot of unwanted, basically, just unknowns that a lot of people just don't really think about too much. And when you throw that into also wanting to win hockey games and wanting to make it close, then you really got to just you really got to give it as, as much credit as possibly do for these guys because they're really dealing with a lot. And to make it close in a lot of these games, you can really just give them a pat on the back and a round of applause really yeah i mean we're not getting blown out every game we're not we're not the we're not the new york jets here we're not we're not taking blowouts left and right that's this team's too good for that i mean we've had we've had a great hockey program for all these years for a reason and that's we can play very good hockey and we have a really good staff to help us do so it's just we're on a little bit of a little bit of a rough stretch and all all dynasties have a rough stretch i mean look at the steelers right now they were on they were on the top of the world and now right now fraudulent we're not, not fraudulent not looking so good but we're going to talk about that later in the show but i mean there's some there's there's some great things that's what we're going to say i mean i shout out to mitch dealstra right now he's been he's has four goals right now as a freshman leading the team cuz He's been great, and I think there's a lot of other pieces. I mean, we could go into every every player on the ice, but obviously we would have so much to, to unpack on the rest of the show that we'd run out of time. But moving over now to basketball, uh, our men's and women's uh, basketball teams started their GLIAC season in Ohio over the weekend playing our good old pals over at Ashland. And um, a little bit unexpected, um, men's team taking a loss in the first opening game but it's okay like yeah, we said it's, it's not it's not be- terrible yeah i mean here's i understand conference matters we lost a conference game it's going to probably matter a little bit down the stretch if we ended up losing a couple more games now we're in a fight for seed play but it's our literally first game as a full team really since against i mean you can you, like give Olivet a lot of credit that they were they were up to the task to play us. Um, I believe it was on the thirtieth, and then the thirty. It was supposed to be the thirty first too, but they ended up having a COVID situation and they canceled that. Which obviously they're they're looking at their player safety too as well as ours. But I mean, this is really the first true contest that we've played because when we played Mercyhurst, it was basically a scrimmage. Like Walt didn't play. Some of the other starters did not play. They didn't even. I don't know if they even traveled at that point, but. They they weren't necessarily looking at Merce, we're not looking at Mercyhurst as a a deciding game when it comes to the, comes to the the tournament and the national no. that's not going to be and in I mean the that's picture. preseason too so it's really yeah. not that it's I mean I it's obviously a big deal to kind of like get ready for the game but it's not that big a deal when it's really looking at your whole record otherwise but you know Ashland they've gotten a lot better on the men's they side have. last year they were I mean lower uh, lower on the totem pole for the Gleak play and you know Ferris was able to edge them out both times. Uh, each time that we played them, but you know this year they really took advantage of the first game. I think we only shot twenty three percent from uh from three. Yep. We didn't really play as good. Walt had a little bit of an off game. You know they took advantage seventy four to fifty two. They got the dub. But I mean the next day Ferris we come out we're ready to play. Then we shoot. I think it's like 50, over fifty percent from mm-hmm. three. We really turn around and that's when we get the dub six ninety sixty eight. But still very close game. You really got to give it to Ashland too for that improvement that we've seen just over the year because. You know that's not that's not easy to do, especially since they were on the lower half. But all pro- I mean, all props to them, really. Yeah, I mean, like we weren't even talking about Ashland being up as good of a team 
We've, we've been a little disrespectful to Ashland, and that's not been intentional, but it's like when you look at the best teams in the GLIAC, Ashland's not the first team that's yeah. going to come off your head on the men's side. Women's side, that's much different. But, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, but. but, I mean, like, this is this is a little bit of a different team, and I think that's um, something we're still getting used to. And, I mean, obviously it's like, oh, well, these guys have played together, but it's been it's a lot different roles. I mean, like, we had, we had guys last year like Dorian that were – that we're going to be instant starter day one, and now he's gone, and it's like, oh, well, somebody's now going to have to play 20, 20 plus minutes. Yeah. And that's something that Jeremiah Washington is still getting used to. And, I mean, there, he hasn't been great on the stat yeah. sheet, and obviously stats don't tell the whole story, and it would be different if um we were actually in person to watch the game and yeah. see how it flowed, but obviously with COVID, can't do that. But, I mean, the fact is this team's still getting, like all of our teams, with everything that's been going on and – adjusting every single day it seems like mm-hmm. to something different for some protocol something else it's difficult and yeah. i know i'm like myself and our cross country and track team we're learning of new things every day and we get, we're adjusting every day like all these other sports are and like i know personally i can understand what every, all these teams are going through as far as changes and all of that sort of stuff and it's tough it really is but we got to give a lot of credit to the people that make it possible because, I mean, we're thankful we can even play in the first place, and that's something really graceful. But, I mean, getting back to the men's side, the men's side uh, pretty pretty solid second day. I mean, obviously a lot closer than we wanted, but still got the W, which is all you, well, all you ask for in the end of the day. And I know that's all the, guy, the, the team wants at the end of the day, but it, it was definitely a good bounce-back game, and it, it was definitely good to see that we mm-hmm. came out at least with a split and not a two-loss trip. Yeah, because if we had two losses, that would have definitely been a little bit of a cult, a little bit of a shock, especially for fans uh, of Fair or Fair State basketball. But you know, I just to go back to that point where you say just kind of adapting to who you lost and stuff like with Dorian, he was a force. He was a guy who you know was a rebounder. He was kind of a sneaky rebounder because he didn't really have a whole lot of height to him, mm-hmm. but he would be able to get in the paint, really be. I mean, and he had a, a whole package. He was able to shoot threes. He was able to, you know, get down in the paint and really be a force down there too. So it's a situation like that where you just got to, like I said, you got to adapt to COVID, but you got to really adapt to all these all these new factors of getting guys uh, ready for new positions, kind of filling in new roles. And Jeremiah having to fill a door and shoot, that's not an easy task. But, you know, Jeremiah's, I feel like he's up to the task. But uh, Wisconsin Parkside coming in to close out the weekend, or excuse me, close out the week on Friday and Saturday. Uh, that's going to be a pretty good game. Last year we were able to beat, I, I don't think we lost to them once, but Wisconsin already this year has beat Northern Michigan once. And if you remember back in the GLIAC tournament. Which Northern, we don't want to do. <laughs> uh, as, as sadly as I will do right now, Northern was able to uh, knock out Ferris in the first round of the GLIAC tournament, which kind of sucked, but uh, no big deal. I mean, this year's a new year, but Wisconsin, not going to be a super easy task, but Ferris, I think we're up to the task and ready to get the job done. Yeah, and I mean, we didn't want to bring up, but we had, we had to, to to put into perspective that, yeah, was, we're, we're not just going to roll over Parkside. We're not going to. Like, all these GLIAC teams are, are very good, and not, no, there's, it's not like, I don't want to, like, throw shade at, like, because I know, um, Joe, we we played in in like this. We played in the CSAA for high school basketball, and there were sometimes where like seasons, it was a lot more variance as far as how good teams were. Like you'd have a really high team, always like there'd always there's a much more range of ability and success when it comes to high school basketball as far as conferences goes. Because there's it's not like it's not like college. Like no. there's there's like you look at the Big Ten right now. Like there are so many good teams and there's teams like Northwestern that started off the year that we you put on the bottom of the totem pole and now look where they are. They're beating some of the best teams. And then there's some that are real like Illinois that are really, really good. Now they have four losses on the year. Like anybody can beat anybody. That's kind of where my where my point is in this. Mm-hmm. But it's gonna be really interesting to see. We've had two diff we had a much different starting lineup in game two against Ashland. We went a little bit more small and um more more likely to see if we can really develop the the shooting touch in that game early and because we played guys like Ben Davidson um um it has Grizzulius like Isaac was talking about um being a little bit of a sleeper he got the start and um Michael Peterson instead of having guys like Mason Pline and Logan Ryan going more big mm-hmm. in the paint so it'll be interesting what coach Bronkema has in store for that for that Parkside team because they're not going to roll over that's for sure um uh, but moving on to the women's side um it's a tough task, as we mentioned earlier. Taking <laughs> yeah, on when you play, argue they're always 
Arguably so one the, of the best, best. One of the best teams in the country uh, to start off your season. That's yes. going to be speed. That's going to be tough no matter what. Yeah, that that's tough. And I mean, they didn't even have scrimmage games that I'm aware of. Um, I, I tried to do some digging, but I did not quite find. Um, if they had yeah, any scrimmage their games. first their first game since like March. Yes. So <laughs> really tough circumstances if you think about it. But um, and much a, a much different team. Um, lost a lot a lot of starters. Um, I mean, we had um, Adrian um, Anderson. We also had um, um, Riley. Yep, Riley Blair. Thank you. Um, we lost. We lost some pieces. Um, it, we we lost some really good players, and this this team's going to be a little bit different. And I mean, obviously that's okay. We're we're not saying one team's better than the other. It's just going to be a little different. Um, but starting off against Ashland is a really tough task. And you know, if like. You ask the girls, they're probably going to say something like, oh, yeah, we, we know that we can play good against Ashland, but we also know they are one of the best teams in the country, and it's going to be a tough task. And for your first game, it's rough. So, mm-hmm. and I mean, not even to mention that it's at Ashland, not even on your home court. So, um, but I mean, Mallory McCartney was great. She had 14 points. Caden um, Blanchard had a very nice game. She was 7 of 16, 18 points, 6 rebounds as well. I believe that was her first start as a Bulldog as well. Um, I mean, she's she's has some, she has a lot of upside. I believe Yeah, she, a lot of upside potential. I believe she's only a freshman. I might want to double check me on that and I'm sorry if it's, she's not. I'll double check it as we speak, but um, it's it's definitely a different it's going to be a different team on the women's side. I think we're going to see a lot more sp- I think I think we're going to see more speed. And I think we're going to see a little bit more. I wouldn't want to say more shooting because I mean, obviously, we shot the ball really well last year. But I think it's going to be a little bit different. But um, yes, Caden is a freshman. I did just check mm-hmm. that. So that's that's really good for a first game as a freshman going out there against the top team and putting up double digits is always a good thing. But two losses, first game of the season. I'm not worried. Mm-hmm. I'm and, not worried. You know, just gotta knock the rust off a little bit. First game, we were 15 percent from three. Which isn't, yeah. I mean, which isn't the greatest. And then Ashland was about 47 or something like 47 percent. And the second game only 29 percent. And Ashland had a little bit of a slow day, but Ashland was able to pick it up kind of uh, in the small ball area too. And I mean, like we said, knocking off the rust a little bit. First game back, you really can't expect too much. I mean, it's literally just kind of like the worst circumstances uh, at Ashland at a playing against a team who's one of the always consistently over the past couple of years the best in the nation and yeah. years and last year I think when it came tournament time they were I think at least number two or they were like one or two in their in their uh in seed their, oh they were number seed one or something like that. yeah they were number one and so obviously you're gonna have a tough to go of it but nonetheless definitely gonna be looking forward to Parkside a little bit of a, a start over starting point a new starting point for the season especially can kind of get that dub and also you've got the first game back where you can really start to develop as a team because like we said not to be a dead horse but being the first game back since March with a new group without your seniors trying to figure out who's going to be able to fill those roles that are kind of left behind those shoes that need to be filled that's just a situation that, you know, is a daunting task and to not have that much time and not to have too many games to really do that before the actual season starts. Uh, give credit where credit's due. Yeah, I mean, Ashland's a fantastic team. And I won't I won't continue to beat the dead horse or anything. But it, it will be interesting because um, if dreadfully la- – last year was just a – just a, the worst, the worst luck ever. I mean, the men's team lost to uh, the eight seed Northern Michigan in their opening round of the GLIAC tournament, and then our women's team fell to Wayne State in just a just a terrible luck game. And that would have led us to play Parkside the very next game in the tournament. So it's gonna be interesting to see mm-hmm. how that that aspect comes in. I mean, obviously both teams are having coming in with a chip on their shoulder, knowing they were they were they were gonna be a lot better than people gave them credit for last year. So. It'll be interesting. So, but now we're going to move on, switch gears a little bit to the higher end of college. Um, we're not going to stay in hoops though. We're going to talk some football because, ladies and gentlemen, the most important game in college football is tonight, Monday, January 11th, the national championship presented by AT and T. Wow. If not not fun if you're a Verizon fan, I guess. But anyway. I have AT and T. So. so do I. Yeah, that's the maybe goal. maybe my monthly the bill goal. Will go, but maybe my monthly bill will go a little bit lower because yeah. this promo. Yeah. Or maybe more because they had to pay so much. But I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm very excited for this game. Uh, Big Ten versus, I think, SEC, right? Alabama's in the SEC. Yes. Uh, 
two bet some of the two best college football uh, conferences facing off in the national title. Ohio State does have a daunting task, especially with Alabama. They have Mac Jones, Devontae Smith. Ohio State they only have Justin Fields basically, and uh, they they played very well against Clemson. But there's a lot of concerns that need to be raised uh, if they're going to be able to catch up with Alabama. I don't think that Ohio State's offense has what it takes to really compete with Alabama too well, uh, especially since Mac Jones was really kind of lightening up against Notre Dame, and they have basically that momentum against Notre Dame that they can pull into this game in Ohio State. I mean, they got the revenge game against Clemson, but I don't know if they have what it takes to beat Alabama. Yeah, I think if you're you're looking at if you're looking at numbers like I always do. I mean, Alabama has a 62% chance to win, and there's reason why. I mean, they've been one of the most fantastic teams in football this year. And if you look at the fact like Justin Fields is he's still going to be banged up in this game. I mean, he's it's been yeah, 10 that shot, days. that shot to the rib. I mean, he he picked it up obviously, but what it like now you're kind of in that process where it's going to be really sore yeah. like the couple of days after it actually happens. So, I I mean, he's probably going to be just a lot of painkillers and just tossed out there, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, he's going to play in this game. Like, there's no question. Like, he, he would have – if he if he would have came out of that game against Clemson, didn't play, went to a locker room, didn't see him again, that'd be different. But he stayed out. To me, he's there's no like some people are saying he might not play. There's he's going to play. I don't think that's a question mark. So, I mean, you should you should have him out there. He he's been one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Arguably, getting a little bit snubbed because of guys like Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence and Kyle Trask. So, but I mean, the fact is, I mean, he threw six touchdown passes against what would normally be considered. I don't know where they were last weekend but like a pretty solid Clemson secondary that we've seen over the past couple years but I mean it's going to be interesting because I mean you look at the tail of the tape both of these teams are pretty similar Mm -hmm. I mean hard nose hard hitting defenses that can make stops and then high explosive offenses that can do it on the ground and in the air so it's going to be really fun I'm really interested to see um, how both teams adjust throughout the game because I think that's really going to be the difference because both of these teams have a really good job of establishing a really good job of establishing run game and then beating teams on play action. I think that's something that they they take pride in. And I mean, when you got Mac Jones and you got mm-hmm. like Najee Harris on one offense, like that's that's just electric. And then you look on the other side and it's Justin Fields and Trey Sermon who are. <laughs> they're not yeah, that, nothing, they're not that far down not on the too list. Shabby, really. So I mean, and then obviously you got the Heisman winner, Devontae Smith for Alabama, and then you got Garrett Wills Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave for Ohio State. It's gonna be a fun matchup. I honestly think that this could be a more interesting matchup than Alabama Clemson because Clemson's a little bit more offensive dependent and not necessarily defensive dependent, where both of these teams seem like they're a little bit more similar. So mm-hmm. it's definitely going to be a fun matchup yeah and the one thing about Ohio State that I mean this whole matchup really Ohio State when they played Clemson uh in the first half they were I think they were well Clemson was missing uh one of their main Mm -hmm. offensive linemen due to the targeting call and then they lose their main linebacker I forget his name but they lose their main linebacker to the targeting Mm -hmm. call in the second quarter so then you're basically out for one quarter of your two defensive like captains basically and the guys who are going to lead that team and then you throw in another linebacker who hasn't really had too much experience who's more of a rookie on the team and then you throw in a, a defensive lineman who also is more of a rookie on the team and hasn't had that much experience it's basically like giving Ohio State a couple of chances to really just have a couple free touchdowns and Ohio State really took advantage of that but now when you look at it Alabama's ready to go they have a full defense they have a full veteran defense mind you and I don't know if Ohio State is going to be able to I don't know, put as many points up on the board. And I think uh, Alabama, at least, is going to... And with Devontae Smith, no one can guard him. Mm-hmm. We've, we've seen that. doesn't matter yeah. if it's uh, uh, the best corners or whatever, the best players in on the defensive side in college football. He's going to make them look silly, and he's going to be able to get open. I think Alabama's defense as well, they show that they're not, nothing, to shake a st- or nothing to shake a stick about because Ian Book, they shut him down 27 for 39, only 229, and no touchdowns thrown. They really shut him down there, and I think if they do that to Justin Fields, it's just going to be more of the same. Yeah, and like it was like when you look back at the Ohio State-Clemson game, like Ohio State... They made Clemson's secondary look like they were lining up on the J, like on the seventh grade football field for or, like for the first time. It was so 
like everything was all over the place it seemed like in the secondary for the majority of the game like they just seemed lost I don't know exactly like what happened but I mean like this this is like you cannot watch the game and I'll put the numbers to you in perspective Trevor Lawrence threw for 400 yards and they lost by 21 points like that's just crazy like Justin Fields had six touchdowns and like there was just plays like like literally the one popping on my screen right now. How appropriate is that? Where they throw to the tight end. Can't remember can't remember how State's tight end off the top of my head. I'll double check that here in a minute. Uh, Luke Farrell, that's who it was. Mm-hmm. Um, literally, he's covered, completely covered, and Clemson's DB just misses the ball, and it goes like literally. You look at that. Oh, it's a pick, and it goes right through his hands. Farrell catches it for a touchdown from eight yards out. Like those plays can't happen, and then you have you have multiple. Like Chris Olave had a 56-yard touchdown. Jamison Williams had a 45-yard touchdown. Like they gave up so many plays, and they just seemed lost in the secondary. Like it was just, I it was so weird to see Clemson's defense like just that discombobulated. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you didn't have your main captain on the defense, and then Skolski, I think, is who yeah, you were mentioning that had is, the yeah. targeting call. Quite, yeah, yeah, we won't, we won't go into Questionable. That. We won't Questionable. go into that one, but, um, I mean, it, it was just an understating performance from Clemson. I think a lot of people are looking at that, but I think you got to give Ohio State credit because the fact is, they came in, they were coming in hungry. I mean, I don't know how many times they mentioned Justin Fields in the clock in the locker room, or uh, not in the locker room, the, the 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 clock, TV. They had all the monitors in the weight room that had the score from last time these two teams played. Like, it was literally Clemson or nothing. Like, if they would have played, like, obviously they would have been, they would have been happy with a national championship if they went through and they played it like, oh yeah, we played Notre Dame and then we played like Texas and won the national championship. But if they would have played Clemson in the national, like that's a whole different thing. This the Ohio State wanted Clemson since that game ended, and that was the only team they had on their mind. And they came mm-hmm. through and they gave. So you got to give them credit. But yeah, and I Justin mean, Fields too. I mean, after that pick, you definitely know that he had that ma- mindset of redemption. And oh I mean, yeah, that that was just a that mistake really just kind of destroyed Ohio State's hopes. And I think Ohio State was a better team last year, especially. But you know they picked it up and they were able to do some good. And I, to be honest, it's going to be a close game uh, with Alabama and Ohio State. I feel like it's going to be a shootout probably, and Ohio State's probably just going to fall short maybe one drive or so late in the game, and Alabama's going to be able to take advantage of that. So it's probably going to be something like, I don't know, my prediction will probably be something like 40 to like 30, like 33 or something like that. Some like okay. we- some like weird numbers because it'll just kind of be back and forth, and they'll take scores wherever they can get. But it'll definitely be a high-scoring game, I think. But... Yeah, I think Alabama will, will will get the win on this one and get the national championship. Because I know I want the Big Ten to win, but I don't think Ohio State has what it takes to be able to to contain Mac Jones and Devontae Smith. Yeah, it's so hard, and like everybody's gut in America is like Alabama is too good of a team. And this is the the hard part to me is like I literally said this in the Clemson Ohio State game because Clemson the- they're the better team. Like if you looked on paper, they were the better team going into that game. But what happened on the field, completely disproportionate to what it was on paper. So, to me, this is tough. I mean, I could, I'll could, i go, I'll play devil's advocate and say Ohio State can win this game because they can make big plays. And the real question is, will Alabama be able to stop those big plays? Will really be, because Clemson didn't, and that's how they got yeah. beat. I mean, they had three 30-plus-yard touchdowns, two, or two of them in the air, one on the ground. Mm-hmm. And when you give up those big plays, that's demoralizing to your defense. And, I mean, when you're all over the place yeah. as it is, it's just a downhill spiral, yeah. and that's how you give up six touchdowns in the air to Justin Fields. So Ohio State has one name in mind, and this is what they have to do to win this game, and that's contain Devontae Smith. If they can hold them to maybe one touchdown or less than 100 yards, that's a win, and that's going to make it so that they have to really focus on the – or they'll have to really focus on the rushing. Alabama's rushing is good, but against Notre Dame, they didn't have any touchdowns. Najee Harris is obviously a fantastic running back, but if they can – if they can just basically take Devontae Smith out of the question and just have all their focus on the rushing game, then I think that's going to be the only way that Ohio State can win the that Ohio State can win the game. But if they if they basically just let Devontae Smith do what he's been doing, then hey. I don't think then I don't think there's any chance because Mac hey. Jones is going to find him 
basically with any any sliver of it being open, Mac Jones is going to be able to find it. He's going to be able to put it on the dot and go throw a dime to Devontae Smith, and they're going to be able to really exploit that, I think, for uh, the Ohio State defense. Yeah, and it's it's going to be hard. I mean, you put it in perspective. I don't know how many times you would think a team would go in playing Alabama and looking at their, their receiving core and saying, oh, we just got to stop number six. That's all we got to do. And... This also, number six, has 105 catches for 1,641 yards and 20 touchdowns. And that's still with game plans against him. That's just how good he's been. But the funny thing is, like, you're you're right. Like, if they can get a handle on Devontae Smith, like, John Mechie is their number two guy. He's not necessarily the same type of player as Devontae Smith. He's, He's good, but... If you're going to be relying on him all game rather than Devontae Smith, it could change the game a little bit. And I'm yeah, not necessarily... Rare. He's not... If they had two Heisman wide receivers, then basically they would be unstoppable. But, like, Minchi, if they do stop him down, If they do uh, contain Smith, and that's going to be a huge burden that's going to be on his shoulders. I'm not sure if he's yeah. going to be able to, to handle. Yeah, I mean, you look... here. This is the... Like, you look at the comparison. Like, Devontae Smith is 105 catches. Their next highest is Mechie at 47. That's a much different... Like that that's that that just shows you how much they use Devontae Smith. That's like Smith. double and a half. Yeah, and like the next highest receiver on that list is um Jalen Waddle, who only played two or three games, mind you, before he hurt his knee. Could you imagine this team if they still had Jalen Waddle? That would be frightening. I yeah, there'd be no chance. That. Uh, they would have been basically that, give the national championship to him at the start of the year, basically. Yeah, but it's it's going to be interesting to see how Ohio State adjusts because they're going to have to be able to stop the run and they're going to have to stop the pass because we know Alabama does them both very, very well. But, I mean, Ohio State as an underdog is something that they've proven themselves in the past that they are a very good team when the chips mm-hmm. are down against them, especially in the media. I mean, the spread going into this game is 9 I don't. I think it's going to be closer than that because I mean these two these two teams are going to be. I don't. I don't want to say it's going to be like a like I could understand if it ends up being like an a like because you look at both the semifinal games they both ended in blowouts so you could see this one getting blowout follow the trend but it's hard because like when I look at Ohio State Clemson like Clemson's overall a much more I wouldn't want to say more big play dependent. But they're definitely more offensive dependent than Ohio mm-hmm. State. And then Notre Dame is, they're just so fundamentally sound, but they don't really have that guy. Like Skoranek and Ian Book are really the two guys that yeah. are going to be. That's how, they, I mean, that's how they got to that point with yes. just being a fundamental team. And they were able to really just do all the little things right when it mattered. And then that was, it, that was basically the reason that they were able to go undefeated up until. You know that Clemson game at the at the uh, I think ACC championship or whatever. But Clemson, I mean, it's Trevor Lawrence, and that's basically their whole offense. And once you can really shut that down, and once you can kind of take, even just t- slow them down just a little bit, then you're going to be able to win the game there. And that's what they really did well. And I, to be honest, I I don't think it's going to be just a just a shootout. Really, it's not going to be a blowout because both of these teams are ready to go. Ohio State's. Like you said, once they once they have any doubters, that's when they actually thrive, and that's when they're ready to go. And I think that's going to be the difference is if what they're going to be able to do when they react to this hate, when they react to this doubt, if they're going to be able to really show these people wrong. And, and Alabama, if they're going to be able to live up to the hype, and it's just up to them to kind of really choose what they want to do with this. Yeah, I mean, I'm imagining Sean Wade's going to be the guy lining up against Devontae Smith, but they're going to probably need more than Sean Wade to cover Devontae Smith, so... If only they had Jeff Okuda. That would be a much different story. Yeah. But, but um, now we got him. We got him. Hey, first year. First year. First year. Takes a while. First year. Takes look a at, second. Look at Tom Brady, man. And to sit how many years on the bench. Anyway. Look where he's at today. <laughs> but nice transition piece. Anyways. I like where you're going with this, Joe. It's like we never left. It's like, like we, we never, never left like this. It's not loud. We never left the like studio. Like we never left the studio. Yes, but... Going into the NFL Wild Card Weekend was a very, very fun one. A lot of cl- yeah, a lot of close games. A lot of upsets. A lot of close games. Yeah, it was very fun. fun. Bears suck. Uh, just fun. <laughs> just fun. A fun weekend of football to watch. But we'll start off with the Colts and Bills. Bills able to keep that streak alive of base or not the streak, but just being able to keep their playoff hopes alive after being here for like the first time in like twenty five years or something like that. 
I thought that the Colts were going to be able to beat them, but Bills just barely edged them out 27-24. to Josh Allen played very well. I think the main difference was, uh, as I was watching the highlights there, is that pick that almost happened in the end zone, that mm-hmm. diving catch that was dropped, and then they end up scoring on that one, and that would have been the difference of the game. But, I mean, you can't really knock it too hard. I forgot who the defend the defender was, but, I mean, that would have been basically catch of the year prob- or interception of the year if he caught that ball. Yeah, I mean, fantastic game. I mean, when you look at when you look at, I mean, the Colts and the Bills, it's definitely like a. It's co- two good offenses versus. It's versus. a great matchup. Like I, I really was kind of, I was kind of sad when they when this came out because theoretically, like if I wanted to make the perfect, I would want to see this necessarily for the next round. I wouldn't want to see this for the wild card because, like. The Colts, to me, can be a much more fundamentally solid team that can be consistently good over both the Ravens and Titans because both of those teams have been labeled fraudulent in the regular season, Mm -hmm. and they've dropped some bad games, and some of them they've played pretty poorly. I mean, both teams scored like less than 21 points in in their matchup, which we'll go over here in a minute. But, I mean, if you're a Bills fan, you're Josh Allen, you're happy. You're gonna yeah, be you're moving on to the on. next round. So you're on to the next round. I mean, you had a diff- you had a little bit of difficult of task yeah. because Indianapolis they their defense has done a great job. Matt Aberflus or Matt Eberflus Aberflus, their defensive whatever, coordinator whatever yeah. does a very good job with that defense. I mean, they play zone coverage really well, and that was something I know we were gonna watch against that Bills high powered offense. But I mean, when you got a weapon like Stephon Diggs. Any te- any defense can be yeah, beaten on a given night. And Josh Allen, who can rush really well, when it, or, or sneakily rush well, might I add. That's sneakily. just a, that's Sneaky. just a recipe for success there. Um, we were talking a little bit about this before the show started, but I wanted to bring this uh, just as a fun little like tidbit. The uh, governor, I just thought it was funny because uh, Governor Cuomo of New York was going to go to that game, but then all of like basically New York signed a petition to not have him go. Or whatever, and I just found that funny. And then he didn't go because they got like sixty thousand signatures or something like that. So I thought that was pretty funny. Oof, that's a tough one. That's that's a moral break here. That's a, <laughs> that's a moral. Break. I mean, he's got to be he's got to be feeling he's bad. Be right heartbroken now. there. But I mean, hey, he could have been a bad luck charm. Keep him away. Look yeah, what now, now he can't come because yeah, he doesn't want to jinx it. But there, there you go, fans. If yeah. you didn't want him to go, you got a good reason. Yeah. He's going to break the luck. Um, yeah, cold side, though, Phil Rivers. I mean, 300 yards, two tees, not too bad. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, sole touchdown on the rushing side. Um, and then, you know, the receiving was all right. Jack Doyle and Zach Pascal both share a touchdown. Uh, they played all right. They weren't – there's a couple times where I thought they were going to get some – they kind of fell short a couple times, but – I mean, what can you do against a good Bills defense who plays really good zone? So yeah, I feel really bad. Like Philip Rivers, I mean, you just had to listen to that post game. Yeah. This team seemed different than a lot of the Chargers teams he was a part of. Like, th- like he came into yeah, this he, team, he had finally like a good amount of targets for wide receivers. Yeah, but. like this was a team that like you went into the season, you were like, okay, this team can either be really good or really bad because. A lot. There was a lot of change there, and I mean, you draft a new running back, you have a new quarterback, you have a little bit changes on defense, you have a little bit different scheme idea. Like this could have been a boomer bust season for the Colts, and you got to give them credit. Like they've done a great job. Mm-hmm. I mean, I ha- classified as a boom. I'd yeah. say this is a successful oh, yeah. season. It was a definite, Eleven and six. Like I thought this team was so much. Like I would, I would take the Colts. Mm-hmm. And I would almost bet for them if they play the Ravens or the Titans. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's just kind of, it stinks that it came down to that matchup because, like, if there was going to be one team out of the playoffs that would beat the Bills in the in the wild card round, excluding the Chiefs, obviously, it is the Bills because they're, they can they can shred defenses regardless of what they throw at them. I mean, man-to-man, you're going to try to defend John Brown and Stephon Diggs down the field. That's going to be a tough task. And you have to put it in zone. And, I mean, that's the thing a little bit, though, is, like, the Bills definitely, if if and I say this every time, I just don't know what they're going to do. If they had a guy like Jonathan Taylor on the other side that could get you four or five yards on first down, that makes that just changes mm-hmm. it. Like, there's there was times where Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, just – they yeah, just they, could not get it going. If they just got going. a solid running back that could, like, get 
six yards a pop on each run on each time and basically make it so that like you can depend on him to get you in a solid third and short territory or second and short territory when you don't want to throw the ball or if you've exacerbated that fa- that factor of throwing the ball in the game then I think that's that could be really the point tipping point of getting the Bills I mean they're already 14 and 3 so I don't really think there's too much room for improvement but like that's like if I could basically be a GM for a day and basically do whatever I wanted or for the Bills I'd be like all right give me a solid running back or that can really do some damage and I think that's the only thing that they're really lacking on the offensive side yeah see if you can make a deal for James Robinson yeah I'll get the bills right. on the phone right that's now that's not a <laughs> I'll get the bills on the phone yeah, right just now just call them yeah I mean hey it could be very interesting offseason though we'll see how much Buffalo mm-hmm. Bills go because it got, it got some coaches yeah. that might leave so yeah, but I mean you gotta if you're the Colts you gotta be happy I mean Phillip Rivers you're hoping solid this isn't, season you're hoping this isn't his last year and I mean he he's not he's not having the retirement hype like Drew Brees is like like, Drew Brees has been banged up for so long. Like, it's a matter of time before yeah. he hangs it up. And if he makes it to the Super Bowl, it's going to be pretty easy for him to make that decision. So, I don't think Phillip Rivers has necessarily that. He has played a pretty pretty similar career, but I think he's still got a little bit left because I think he hasn't, has, he hasn't had as many injuries, and he's been much more... I don't want to say, like... He hasn't been, like, so dependent necessarily. Like, Drew Brees has been slinging the ball so many times for so many years and Philip Rivers has done the same but it's just a little bit of a different narrative with Drew Brees because I mean he's been successful he's done all these things like Philip Rivers just hasn't gotten that success yet and that's the no. something that's going to keep him around and I was really looking I was really really excited when he said he was coming to the Colts because that offense I mean you have a guy like Michael Pittman now who's gonna probably be your number one and I mean you still have T.Y. Hilton depending on how how you want to manage that but I mean this sounds. I mean, I don't even want to. Yeah, I won't even. I won't even say some of the rumors going around. Um, okay, I I I shouldn't say, say it, it because say now it I have right to now. say it. Say the, it. There is a rumor out there that they're looking at Kenny Galladay, and if you look at the, how that offense looks, that could be <laughs> that extreme. could be but really that's not, the thing that's that pushes not gonna over the edge. That's not going to happen. We're going to get a new GM. He's going to see how valuable he is. He's going to pay him, and he's going to stay yeah, because not. all things are good. All right, please knock on that door right now, Joe, <laughs> before I lose my mind. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Um, as, as we knock on the door, we'll go to the next the next game. Rams versus Seahawks. That one was a pretty good game as well. Rams seem to be the Seahawks kryptonite, um, especially since they lost 30-20. to 20. I don't really... I wasn't really expecting that to happen because I thought that... Uh, well, I was, I was a little bit because I knew Jalen Ramsey was probably going to be able to shut down DK Metcalf a little bit. And the uh, Rams defense was going to be proven a little bit problematic. But I wasn't expecting at least a 10-point loss. I think it was going to be a little bit closer than this. But... I mean, Brandon, what are your thoughts on this game? Seahawks choked. I don't really know how else you can... Yeah, you can't really say anything else. Like, they, just, they, they dropped just, it. They came out like... I don't know exactly like what to say. Like I'm I'm a huge Russell Wilson fan. I mean, he, he's um, a fantastic football player, fantastic person. But it's, it was not his night. Well, I can just leave it. it. It was not his night. He got pressured a lot he got sacked he ended up going mm. i believe it was 11 for 27 only 174 yards yes like he had a rough night and that's just that's just football sometimes the worst night comes on the biggest night so the fact is they just didn't they just couldn't stop cam Akers. i think that would have changed the game if they would have stopped cam Akers, because then you're going to be relying on jared goff to throw because jared goff Jared Goff was not supposed to play in this game. No. He was supposed to be John Wolford. He was supposed to be... Who still has his LinkedIn profile active, by the way. Does he? Didn't oh, know that, he didn't know interesting. That. Okay. I thought he said he's going to delete it, but I guess he's holding out. <laughs> I mean, at the time at the time he popped off last week, he still has it active, but... Yeah. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to follow him. And we'll, <laughs> follow we'll, him. We'll, we'll see, see if we'll we can't see if we can get a job with the Rams. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I mean, he gets knocked out of the game. Really, really scary hit. He ends up going in the ambulance. We hope all is well with him. Um, I mean, and and Jared Goff comes in, broken thumb. I mean, the it was like okay, now Seattle's gonna have something. They're gonna be able to get some momentum back. Goff's just coming in the game, but they just couldn't stop Cam Akers, and he ran all over him. And I, if you're a Rams fan, you're like, finally, finally, we see the end result of why we drafted Cam Akers, and it, it just came at the right time because I mean, 131 yards and a touchdown in a playoff game is what every coach asks for but it's gonna be hard because i mean seattle came into this game they you definitely were seeing them as everybody the favorite seeing, yeah everybody saw them as the favorite yeah i mean 12 and 4 
been, but I mean, when I when I saw they're gonna play the Rams, I was legitimately concerned because the Rams have been the team that they just can't seem to find yeah, a grip on. Past. I mean, they won against um, I believe it was Week 16 or the last matchup they played in the regular season. Um, it was like 20 to nine or something, but they didn't mm-hmm. play that well that game. And Jared, just thankful Jared Goff played much worse. So, but this this Rams team's their defense is legit, and they're showing hey, we don't we don't need a star stellar offense to make a deep run because their defense is just that stoutly good. Like they are just that good. Yeah. And that's something that, cause I mean, it's crazy because you can like DK Metcalf had a pretty, like you would say if you looked at a, like a fantasy score sheet and you looked at what DK Metcalf did, you'd be like, okay, that was pretty, pretty solid performance. He five catches, 96 yards, two touchdowns. But the reality is, like, he was locked up for a majority of the game. Yeah. Jalen Ramsey played incredible. Like, he only had, I believe it was, two catches or against against Jalen Ramsey, I think it was, or something like that. I mean, he, DK Metcalf had 11 targets, and he had five catches. And I believe four or th- three or four of those catches were not against Jalen Ramsey. And that just shows you how good Jalen Ramsey's been. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Tyler Lockett only had two catches. I mean, that that Seahawks offense was shut down, and that was so hard for them. I mean, Chris Carson got it a little bit going on the run here and there, a couple, couple big bursts, but not necessarily the consistent performance you're seeing out of the Seattle Seahawks, and that's just the, that's just a problem. I don't know how they I don't know how they fix it because there's been times where they've been one of the best teams in football at the beginning of the season, and then by the end of it they're falling apart, and then they lose in one of the opening rounds. Yeah, that's, I don't know, like I said, Rams have just been the Seahawks kryptonite lately, uh, just for the past couple of years. I, I just don't understand how the Seahawks can really get past this. Obviously, Russell Wilson's going to be trying to, it'll, they'll ha- he'll have this on his mind for the next couple next couple weeks, and I think he'll really start to get back in the gym in the offseason and get ready to face him off next week, next year, excuse me. But next game, we got Tampa Bay versus Washington, another wild card faceoff, 31-23 to in Tampa Bay's favor. Tom Brady, he did what he does, 381 yards for two TDs. Um, but honestly, Washington, Taylor Heineke, he did pretty well. He was good. Unexpectedly so. I was not <laughs> expecting him to go that. 306 yards, one TD. They, I mean, he got wasn't able to get the win, but for him not being playing basically all year behind Dwayne Haskins and Alex Smith, credit where credit's due. Like, you you got a pretty bright future if the Alex Smith thing doesn't pan out. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be an interesting offseason for Washington because you've already eliminated Dwayne Haskins, which I think was going to happen. Well, it was a, that when was a was smart the, move. I when was, was the time? Move. Yeah, he was going to be let go. When was it going to happen? I think that kind of got a little, a couple people surprised that it was that early in the season. Yeah, and not after the season. But I mean, the the, the best part about Washington is you have such a good defense. Like, I mean. There's obviously some pieces that you'd like to tweak and fix, maybe more particularly in the secondary, because their front, their front four, one of the best in football, and that was one thing a lot of people were saying. Well, Washington can beat Tampa Bay because Tom Brady, when he gets pressured by four defensive linemen, and you, the rest of the secondary can step back in zone or even a man zone hybrid, like that's when he's at his most vulnerable point, and that's yeah. when he's lost big games. Because you look at it like the Saints, like they pressured him, and then look how catastrophic Tom Brady looked at the beginning of that game. But just an example, like if you're Washington, there's a lot of good hope on the horizon. You just need, you just need something. You just need one. You just need a, a couple more weapons, a couple more key players defensively, and if you have a superstar quarterback, I mean, you could easily flip three wins right there. Cause, yeah. I mean, they have a very, very good coach team because, frankly, a lot of people didn't think they were even going to win three games this year. And they yeah, won and seven. To, and to get to the wild card round, that's just, I mean, that's just something that you can really pat your head on. But uh, Buccaneers, though, they're receiving they're pretty well. Um, Antonio As Brown got his first touchdown. Uh, I think it was like his first postseason touchdown in like three years or something like that. Yeah, Chris Godwin like also got a touchdown. Mike Evans and Cameron Bray did pretty well. They didn't get a touchdown, but they both had, uh, I mean, Cameron Bray had 80 yards. And Mike Evans had 119 to lead the team. So, pretty solid day out for everybody. And Leonard Fournette with a touchdown on the rushing side. He had 93 yards on 19 carries. So, honestly, just a very good all-around game for the Buccaneers. I think that's the one main reason why they were able to win. Because they were kind of... I don't think Washington had enough pressure on Tom Brady the whole game. And 
when you don't give Tom Brady pressure, that's when he's the most. I mean, that's when he's deadly is when he can kind of make up his mind and look over all of his options because he is one of the greatest football minds at quarterback that we've ever seen. So Buccaneers, though, they got the job done. Yeah, I mean, not having Ronald Jones for this game, everybody was wondering how the rushing attack would go. And, I mean, it was kind of weird. Like, Keyshawn Vaughn was supposed to be a pretty high pretty high guy when going into the season because he was going to be Ronald Jones's backup hypothetically and then obviously they made like the signings of LaShawn McCoy and then they obviously make the the move for Leonard Fournette who did play pretty well in this game um it was just kind of weird like they didn't it seemed like they were not necessarily as dependent on the run which I don't think is I mean if you're Bruce Arians you you live to throw and I think that definitely was going on in that game because, I mean, Brady threw it 40 times, obviously. But I think with this team, I think you have the offensive tools to make a good run. And I, you don't need the stats. Tom, Tom's shown that. You don't need to throw for 5,000 yards to win a game. I mean, he threw for 500 yards in the Super Bowl against the Eagles and still lost. So um, it was just a really, a really interesting game because you had that aspect like Washington was going to really give them a fight, which they pretty much did. But... They just don't have Washington. Just doesn't have the that those it players. I mean, they have scary Terry. I mean, Cam Sims had seven catches in this game, and that's got to be something really exciting for the front office saying, "Oh, hey, we can keep him around." But it's just a really tough, a, a really tough loss for Washington. If you're Tampa Bay, this is what you wanted. You wanted to get away from Washington because we're honestly, if you look at the three NFC East teams, Washington was the one you wanted to play the least, and you still got out with a win. So really exciting for them, and they're gonna have. They're going to have a good postseason going forward as long as they mm-hmm. keep the ball in their hands and don't turn it over. They're going to yeah. be all right. <laughs> yeah, uh, next game, Baltimore Ravens versus Tennessee Titans. Baltimore, with the win 20-13, they did what everyone thought they needed to do to win the game. That was shut down Derrick Henry. He only had 40 yards rushing. And when you take that out and force Ryan Tannehill to throw, that's when the mistakes, and that's when you're going to be able to take advantage of it. Uh, Ryan Tannehill went 18 for 26, 165 yards, a TD, and an interception. Um, you know, once you take out Derrick Henry off the Tennessee Titans uh, offensive factor list, that's when you know that you're going to get the win. And the Ravens, I mean, that's what they did. And everyone, everyone knew as soon as you did that, there's no chance that Tennessee is going to be able to do anything. Yeah, and if you're if you're the Ravens. Like, this is this is a pretty similar. This is kind of a pretty similar characteristic storyline as Ohio State Clemson. Like, you can't get away from the Tennessee Titans. You always fall short, and it always comes down to it. it, it you just cannot, for some reason, beat this football team. And on the biggest stage, it happens to happen. Like. This was a big game for the Ravens. Like they were on the road, there were chips were down. They had some calls go the wrong way, and there were some big time, big time decisions that led to an opportunity for the Titans to get back in the game. But I mean, obviously, then you, I mean, you could bring up the Mike Vrabel punt too. But that one wasn't as. I don't think that one was as crucial as a decision as one later in the Pittsburgh game, which we'll talk about later. But I mean, if you're Lamar. This is this is the game that Ravens fans have been waiting for. This is a game that you finally explode. You take your team to the promised land. I mean, they only scored 20 points, but, I mean, Lamar did Lamar things, and they didn't have to rely necessarily on J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, which could be a good or a bad thing, or depending on how you see it. But being able to make big plays like that big touchdown run, that's why you got Lamar Jackson. That's why you brought him here, mm-hmm. because a lot of people said he couldn't throw, but he could still make big plays, and that's the, that's the reality. Is that's what he did, and credit that Ravens defense because they played fantastic, especially stopping Derrick Henry because a lot of teams haven't been able to do that, frankly, the last mm-hmm. last two or three years. Yeah, and I mean, we were talking a little bit before the show started about how Lamar, we were, I mean, it could be a debate question for later, but like Lamar versus Kyle, like what are the upside potential of both? And yeah, like, we discussed Lamar, this before. Lamar, when he is forced to throw, that's when I think the Ravens have a little bit of trouble because when he has to make those deep balls or those 30-yard-plus throws, he's a little bit inaccurate. And we saw that in the game. I mean, he missed a couple that were like 35-yard throws that were just a little bit off. And then if you kind of throw those in the mix, that would have been at least probably another touchdown or two. Uh, and I think that's what he's got to really work on in the offseason is his throwing ability because, like, to go back to, like, what – or to kind of our discussion that we had with Kyler, at least Kyler can throw it accurately over 40 yards, and he can make those throws kind of 
more consistently. And, I mean, he still has the same skill set. But Lamar, when he's able to get on and when he's able to be shifty and when he gets out of the pocket, that's when he's the most dangerous. And I think that's what the Titans failed to do was kind of contain him and keep him in the pocket because as soon as he gets out, you don't know what's going to happen. And then when you have to throw him in the mix of also trying to uh, shut down J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, that's what's going to that's kind of be going to be the uh, the problem that you got to try to fix. And I don't think Tennessee was able to do that. Yeah, and I think I think this this stat goes with you, um, goes with your point really well. I think it was um, that when Lamar throws or runs for over a hundred yards, or run, yeah, runs for over a hundred yards, the Ravens have been nine and zero in in those games, and that's just something that's been like. Like when Lamar can get, like when he's able to make plays with his legs, that changes the whole defensive scheme when you're trying to defend him because then you're going to try to contain him, and make him throw, and then they they'll just, they'll still beat you. Okay, fourteen and one when he has over ninety yards. That that's one more. That was a stat I was looking for. I mean, the only loss it was actually last year against Tennessee. But I mean, if if you're Tennessee, I think this is going to be. A really interesting off season, and I and you say that a lot of, about a lot of teams, but I think for them because there's a really good chance that they're going to lose Arthur Smith, and they're going to have a new head on the offensive side calling plays, and that's just going to be a really really interesting thing because if they're going to change up their scheme, if they're going to change up, because there's no way you're going to say, oh yeah, we're going to throw when you have Derrick Henry. Why would you do that? He's yeah. the best, one of the it, best running backs in football, debatably mm-hmm. the best. Like, you can't do that. So, if you're Tennessee, I mean, and, I mean, just addressing, like, what happened after the game, they're all, like, why didn't the Ravens get, like, some of the players get kicked out of the game for scraping up the logo and dancing on that? Don't forget, the Titans did that to the Ravens at their place uh, the year prior. So that was straight revenge, and you yeah, knew that, that was, was coming. Bit, yeah. So as soon as soon as that yeah. that final whistle sounded, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah, and so. them leaving the field early and not shaking hands and that that whole stuff has a history and if you like we obviously don't know the magnitude of it because some of those some of those players hate each other for how the way those two games mm-hmm. that game um, yesterday and the year before went down. So there's still a lot of bad blood be- between those teams because, frankly, they've ran into each other too many times and have had too many close games for that not to erupt. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can't necessarily just say, oh, yeah, they're, you, they're, there's a lot of emotion there, and that's the reason those things yeah. happen. But moving on to the 4 o'clock games, Chicago against New Orleans. Um, Bears suck. <laughs> Bears just, nah. It was rough. I mean, their defense did not play bad. They they, they weren't bad on the bad. defensive side. I'll give you that. Yeah. But I mean, I knew that the Bears weren't going to be able to pull it out against the Saints. Saints no. are just. I mean, the like, Saints are thirteen and four, and they make the wild card. You know that they're going to be able to run over Chicago because Chicago. I mean, like we've. I mean, we've said it plenty of times in this podcast. They started off hot, and then you know they actually showed their true colors when they started to get to kind of the meat of their of their um of their schedule. And I did not think that they were going to make it far if they made the playoffs. And I mean, my point was just proven now when they lose by uh, two or what is it? I, my math is terrible, but two scores against the Saints. It, I knew that was going to happen. Mr. Trubisky, only 19 for 29, only threw a touchdown on 199 yards. You can't really, you really can't win much games on that. And when New Orleans is just in control basically the whole game, you really can't do anything against, especially against the Saints defense, and especially when Drew Brees is dealing 28 for 39 with 265 yards. Yeah, and if you're New Orleans, it was stop David Montgomery, make Trubisky throw, and that's exactly what they did, and that's why they won the football game. Mm-hmm. And because you, Mitch Trubisky is not a guy, and I think a lot of people were like, oh, he's got he he has a good he has good skill set. But the reality is he can't win you a game on his own. And that's what the problem has been for the Bears because earlier in the season, David Montgomery wasn't great. But at the end of the season, he was fantastic. And that's one of the things that made them get into the playoffs was he was running all over the place. But the Saints, that defense is pretty legit. And it's I really wonder if we're going to see a Saints-Rams game because, I mean, obviously we won't see that. The Rams and the Saints will have to win next week. Yeah. But... That would be a defensive slugfest. Probably not very much a viewership high game. Yeah, it'll probably I mean, be a low-scoring low game. Yeah. Old, old man football fans will be thrilled if that happens because oh, yeah. you'll see the fundamentals of the yeah. game being played. But, yeah. they I, held, mean, I mean, they held Montgomery to 31 yards. What else would you ask for? Yeah, when, especially when, I mean, 
Drew Brees was kind of dealing out too. That's just a recipe for success, especially yeah. against the Bears. I think that's kind of the best case scenario that the New, that New Orleans had going into this game. Yeah, especially. But I mean, not too much to say about this game. It was pretty much just Saints in control the whole yeah. game, and Bears just weren't able to do it because they show their true colors. They're terrible. They're not very good. Better <laughs> than the Lions, I'll give you that. But nonetheless, they're not super great. Yeah. Next yeah. game, surprising game, uh, if I might add, Browns just four. I mean they. Throttled them, throttled the Steelers in the first quarter. Steelers kind of started to claw their way back a little bit, but Browns were able to hold them off, forty-eight to thirty-seven. I was not expecting this from the Browns, to be honest. Especially since their head coach was out because of COVID, was not. A, I, I thought that they were just going to be in a, in shambles when it came to play calling and when it came to kind of really what they were going to do come crunch time. But they really showed out twenty-eight points in the first quarter. But they slowed down a little bit after that. But 28 points in the first quarter against the Steelers' defense. Wow. That, it was pretty good. I mean, if this is if if you're the Steelers, you didn't have some of your starters play last week. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, bounce back, bounce back. I even said it. Like, they, they if they can put the offense together that they have, like, earlier in the year when their defense has played as well as they have, they can win games. There's a reason they went 12-0. Yeah, they were a little bit on the schedule side overrated, but I mean they still won those games. If the first play you come out, snap going over your head, and Browns get a TD, and then you follow that up seven plays, seven plays later with an interception, demoralizing, and then they go score a touchdown. Like that momentum just absolutely killed them. They demoralizing. ended up. I mean, it was just a terrible circumstance for the Steelers. And I want to point out one thing is that. When they were later in this game, and I know every Steelers fan in America is probably talking about this today or and last night too, going into the end of the third quarter, you now have yeah you go you, I believe it was yeah they put they they go to the they go to the fourth quarter they're starting the fourth quarter they have it on their own like forty five or something like that it's fourth and one you're down twelve why on earth are you punting the football? If you're, it's fourth and one, you're down 12, you're near midfield. The Browns have not scored by this point. They hadn't scored in the third quarter. They had they only scored a touchdown in the second quarter. They, they've went a... They, they slowed went, down. They slowed down drastically, and they could not get anything going. Like, there were plenty... There were over... Mm-hmm. There were two or three three and outs in that span. And you had just scored 14... You just scored... 10 points in the second quarter to claw your way back to get 10 at, or to get 10 at halftime make it somewhat all right and then you end up with 13 unanswered you have an opportunity to bring this game within a score and you punted on fourth and one that to me just shows they had no confidence that they can run the football in this game and there's a reason why like they they just could they could not do anything on the ground like Ben Roethlisberger is a good quarterback. He's a good quarterback. He's been a legendary quarterback that could probably, probably make the Hall yeah, of Fame. Yeah, most likely make the Hall yeah, of Fame. Yeah, he's won a Super Bowl. Like, you can't just discredit him. Like, he threw the ball 68 times in this game. 47 of those were completions. Yes. Look how many times they ran the ball. Basically, never. Why is 16 that? 16 times or 17 times. Why is that? That's a question mark. Yeah, that's... It's... When you put that... And I mean, Ben Roethlisberger had four interceptions, too. Yeah, well, I mean, he threw it 68 times. So. Well, yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying, is when you have to rely on Ben Roethlisberger throwing it, this, that, and the other thing, however many times he needs to go... However many times he needs to throw, it's guaranteed that he's going to throw an interception, or he's going to be a guaranteed Hall of Fame inductee if he throws it 68 times without a pick or without, like a lot more drop balls or something like that because if they can just if they just had a little bit of rushing, I feel like it'd have been a totally different game. Like you said, like if they were able to have any type of faith in that fourth and one situation and run the ball and able to get a first down, that would have been a whole I feel like that would have been a whole different storyline to the game. If they went down and scored a touchdown, that could have been easily a the biggest game changing play 
in that entire game. And that could be a reason, that would have been a reason why we could have been sitting here and talking about the craziest comeback in playoff history if the Steelers had won that game, if they ended up scoring. Because if you think about it, Browns hadn't scored that whole time in the second and third quarters. They scored once. They go down and score, and they make this a six, maybe even a four, or maybe even a four-point game. I mean, four, five, four, three, whatever. You would have probably, I mean, theoretically, you're down 12. You would have got the touchdown, and then you would have probably went, you would have probably just laid up and kicked the field goal, I think. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah you wouldn't. Yeah. That, you're, four, you're a touchdown away from winning the game, and the Browns hadn't done anything. Then you punt it. You give all you give the you give Cleveland a chance to hope again, and then they go down and score a touchdown. That to me, at that point, mm-hmm. game over. They could not come back from that. Yeah. They, they were just they just could not do anything at that point. I mean, obviously they came back. They scored two touchdowns late. They got it to eleven. That's they they ran out of time at that point because all the time that Browns had to possess it after they punted. Mm-hmm. Just I just can't believe they made that decision. I mean. Mike Tomlin's been a great head coach, but that decision was kind of questionable. But I don't know if it was it was his necessarily the coordinator. So I don't know. It's just that's mm-hmm. what Steelers fans are going to talk about, and they're yeah. not you're not going to fire Mike Tomlin over that decision. Obviously, no. I mean, it was one decision, and yeah. frankly, you should have lost this game like forty eight to ten. So you got to give him credit for clawing back. But yeah, Browns live to see another day, yeah. and everyone's credit, happy about it. Credit where credit is due to Baker Mayfield. I mean, he played extremely well. He seemed like he was in control the entire game. Um, when I was watching the highlights, he just seemed comfortable, and I don't think that's what we've really been. That I don't think that's what we've seen these past couple of years from like the years that we've doubted Baker Mayfield. But I feel like he's finally just in that zone where he can be comfortable with his receivers. He's he's reliable with them, and they're reliable with him, and they kind of they're they're comfortable. That's like the, the only thing I can say because now he can kind of throw up those jump balls or throw up those passes that are a little bit questionable and he knows that they're going to be able to come down with it. And also, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, it's just that duo for rushing is just insane. I think insane. Nick Chubb had like four or five like uh, first and tens that he went and got another first down on. And I, when you have or when you have that happening and when you have that consistency, being able to get those times where you can are a second and long or a third and long and be able to give it to your running back and be able to get the first down and kind of get that sigh of relief for your offense and get a new chance, that just takes a whole lot of stress off Baker Mayfield and off of Don Peebles, Jones, Jarvis Landry, all those guys on the receiving end. And then when you have Kareem Hunt, who has two touchdowns on the receiving side, that's just something that the Cleveland Browns can really develop on, and that's what I think that they're going to be looking forward to this upcoming game. But Pittsburgh, I mean, I was, I know me and Barry have been saying this. They've been fraudulent. I mean, when they went 12-0 and and then they they lose their whole, I think, they went 0-5 to close out the year, right? They, they went, went one and four or something like that. They oh, were, five? they were. I think they were one and four. And the one game they won was like that when they clawed out against the Colts, and they were down at halftime. Yeah, and they they didn't play well. As soon as the year, I knew, I knew once over. I knew as soon. I that's what I was saying. That's what I was thinking. When as soon as they got locked up for like at least a wild card spot, I said this is when they're going to have to really show out and show them everybody that they're not a fraudulent team because. They haven't been playing any tough teams so far this year, and now they have the Cleveland Browns who have the same record as them, who have kind of had the opposite uh, trend for what their season started. They didn't start off too hot. Then they started to pick it up and actually play well. When you're against a team on a hot streak like the Browns, that's when you're really going to have to show up, and that's when you're going to have to prove yourself to all the doubters if you're actually the real deal. And I think that's that's where they fell short about in Cleveland. They took advantage of it. They kept hot, and I think that's what they're going to have to do upcoming uh, for this next week. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if the Browns can keep it rolling or will mm-hmm. they fall flat and they will have to live to see another season. Yeah. But, guys, that is going to be the show today. Thank you so much for tuning in to the MVSP. Joe, it's always been a good day in the office, my friend. Yeah, good to be back. I'm glad to have the semester starting. Hopefully we can get a good start with classes too. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Take care, everybody.